Welcome to Cowboy Jim's Stories Around the Campfire. I am enjoying telling these stories, and I hope you're enjoying listening to them. Don't forget to like it if you can. Follow it. Tell your friends. They might enjoy the stories as well. I've been thinking about different people I've known with the various backpacking trips I've done, and I've entitled this one, Marching to a Different Drummer. You know, there are just some people who are not quite on the same page that you are, either mentally or however else you might be looking at life. And we had some of those at our camp in Colorado. One of them was a young guy. I think he was 15 at the time. And when we started the trip, we started a place we didn't normally. And so the first day was walking out across a pretty flat area, uh, not particularly hard hike, but it was fairly long to get to where we were going. I'll call this guy Brian. Brian was going along and he was slow. There are some people that are just slower walkers, and that's okay. In our camp, we would say, don't try to keep up with everybody. Just go at your pace. Just get there in your time, but get there in time for dinner, you know? And we always had one of the leaders or myself wait at the back to make sure nobody fell behind. And this time it was me. I'm going along and I realize Brian is really slow. And finally he stops and he just says, you know, I don't think I can do this. Now he's already spent like five days at our base camp and we've done all sorts of different things to learn and the different survival skills and all the things that we would do there. But he just said, no, he says, you know what? I'm going to just stop here. I'll find a phone and call for somebody to come pick me up. Well, we're in the middle of nowhere. This is before cell phones were in use. There is no phone around anywhere. And I had to explain to him, Brian, there is no phone. He says, well, I'll walk back there to where Mrs. Painter dropped us off, my wife. I said, Brian, you go back there. She's not there. Nobody's going to be there. Well, he was pretty disturbed about this. And I said, you know, this is what you signed up for. This is what we talked about. You're going to have to go. But he just mentally couldn't. And so I did something that I really wasn't sure I wanted to do, but it was the only thing I knew to do. I said, I'll tell you what. I said, I'm going to, I told him, I'm going to walk ahead here. I'm going to take my pack and I'm going to walk up ahead here and you follow along. And you leave your pack here, because that's the problem, right? You say it's too heavy. I'll come back and I'll get it, and I'll carry it up, and you keep going. And, and so you get the idea, kind of a leapfrog. So I walked ahead, and I probably went, oh, I suppose I was doing this in half-mile increments, something like that. I went, and I dropped my pack. And at that point, he stayed up, oh, fairly well. He was still a ways behind me. I dropped my pack on the trail. I went back past him. He keeps going. The trail's very plain, so you, you just follow there. I went all the way back. I picked up his backpack. I went and passed then my backpack, went all the way, caught up to where he was at that time. He was still plodding along. I dropped his pack off the trail, went back, got my backpack, picked it up, Kept going till I caught up with him again. You get the eyes back and forth. And I don't know how far I went that day. 
I walked a long, long time carrying both backpacks back and forth. I knew I wasn't going to be able to continue that. Nobody was able to, but uh, I was the only one there. Everybody else had moved on ahead. And finally, we got to where we were camping that night. Nice little place. I remember it. Nice little meadow, trees around, little stream. Really a, really a picturesque spot. And we sat down and I had to explain to him, Brian, we can't keep doing this. You are going to have to carry your backpack. We probably lightened his load a little bit, probably tried to share some stuff around. So he he did it. He was okay then. I think it was just that first day, just the mental process of it was so, so difficult to him. Now, we'd seen at base camp, Brian had a tendency to sort of quit on things. At one point, we had a little uh, sort of a obstacle course that we had set up in some trees, and we're doing it, and he would get to one, I remember, and he would just say, oh, I'm done, and he would just let go. Well, fortunately, we always had people spotting him there. Otherwise, he'd have hit the ground really hard. And we kept talking with him. He said, Brian, you can't just quit like that. But that was sort of how he was. That was sort of how I guess he was brought up. We kept moving along on this trip. And a couple of days later, we were going along the, the Piedra, the river there, and then coming down from there, I think it was Williams Creek. And we had camped one spot. The next day, we're, we're getting ready to go up to where... We were going to be crossing Williams Creek, and it was pretty high. It wasn't quite full flood stage, but it, it, there was a lot of water. And so we got to it there. There are a lot of ways to cross a stream like that. But what we chose to do, uh, we had some uh, ropes with us. And so what I did was go across the river there with the rope. And one of my leaders, Tom was his name. Uh, Tom actually is my brother-in-law. We strung a couple of ropes across the river there. Uh, I was able to make a cross, fighting across the stream. But it was cold and it was fast. And it, it was pretty deep there. It was probably almost chest deep on me there at one place. And so it, it was high water. So then what we would do with these ropes is we would have one tied up high, really tight, and we would do a thing almost like a Tyrolean traverse sort of thing with the pack. We would put the pack on the top there and, and have it latched to that top one and pull it across the river so it wouldn't get wet. And then the person would cross holding on to the rope all the way so they wouldn't be swept downstream. And it was going fine. We were doing well. And everybody was really stepping up. It was a big adventure. Then I realized the next person was Brian. Hmm. So we put his backpack up there to pull it across. I think already did pull it across. And I'm thinking there, there was something that's just, ah, we're going to do this a little bit different. And so I yelled across the river to Tom. I said, Tom, you come across with Brian. And we hadn't done that before, but okay. So they both get in. Again, this water's really cold. They get in. It's pretty fast. And they took about one step. And you probably guessed it. Brian just said, I can't do this and let go. 
I mean, that water was fast. He'd have been swept downstream. I don't know how far. It was dangerous for him to do that. And Tom grabs hold of him. He has one hand on the rope yet. And at the, at the time, it wasn't too funny. Afterwards, the whole picture in my mind is very comical. Tom's looking up with me with eyes huge and just, help, what do I do? So... I had to jump in again. I went across holding onto the rope, and together we took Brian across that river. He wasn't being much help to himself. Some people just march to a different drummer. We had another one, different camp, another place entirely. I'm going to call him Tommy. Tommy was a thin kid, uh, kind of quiet, kind of kept off to himself, but he seemed to be enjoying things. In a base camp, we do teach quite a few survival skills, and, and one of the things we teach is how to make a fire because you want to be able to get warm if you need to. And so it's a whole process. You know, we, the whole contest eventually is can you make a fire with one match? And so there, you know, people are getting little bitty twigs and there's super dry bark or something, you know, and making these little fires so they can do with one match. And everybody's working really hard at it. And I'm going around critiquing the work and trying to help them. And all of a sudden I look over and there is Tommy. And he's got two, like, I don't know, four inch logs laid up against a trash can holding one match underneath it. And at first, I thought he was making a joke. And I thought, that's very, very funny. And then I realized, uh-oh, that's not a joke. He doesn't get it at all. He didn't understand the whole thing about kindling and everything else needed. And we tried to teach him. We tried to help him. It was... It was really unusual. Well, so when you have someone like that, you begin to keep an eye on them. And we started on our backpack trip. And the very first day, we're headed up uh, the Williams Creek, up uh, going over the Continental Divide at one place. It's a place actually I'd never been before. And we got on that one trail, and there were a lot of trees blown down across the trail. It hadn't been well kept. And that's no problem. You find a way to go around, go over, whatever. It's a lot more work. It's a, it's a it's slow process. But there was probably for, oh, I suppose a quarter of a mile, maybe a third of a mile, just a lot of trees down. So we're going over. And this time I happen to be in front. Uh, I'm, I'm leading the way. And I get up to where we're going to get a camp that night. Get up there. And finally, people are coming up, and somebody finally says that Tommy is still way in the back, and I couldn't figure out why it was taking so long. And finally found out that he was coming up to every one of those trees that had blown down, stopping, taking off his backpack, picking up his backpack and dropping it over the tree trunk, then him climbing over, and then putting on the backpack itself, and then keep going. Well, that, you know, that like tripled the time, and there was no reason for it. We were all able to go around or go over. None of us had taken our backpack off for anything, but that was just the way his mind evidently worked. A little later, we're still on this same trip. We've crossed the divide. We're going along a place, 
and it was in July, but there'd been a lot of snow that year, and we came to a, uh, a couple of big snow fields. Uh, one of them I'll tell you about later. It took a really bad fall there, but we got across there eventually, and we came to another snowfield that was ab about uh, half a mile wide, and that's right where the tray was. There was no way around. It was snow. It was packed, and and so we said, okay, we got to cross it, and so we did. And just not much farther beyond that was where we were going to camp, a really nice campground uh, by Trout Lake. We're there, and we all cross, and suddenly somebody came up and said, oh, we need help with Tommy. And I thought he'd fallen or gotten hurt. I got there, and that wasn't the case at all. Tommy just, uh, he got tired, and he actually told me, he said, my feet got cold crossing the snow, which they did, everybody's did. But he stopped probably 50 yards away from the edge of the snow before he's across. He said, my feet are cold, and went all the way back across the snow field to where it was dry so he could sit down, take off his boots, his socks, dry off his feet, get everything warm. And before I found about that, I found out he had done that twice. Finally, the last time he was right there, he was ready to do it again. I said, not Tommy, not you're going to keep going here. I'm going to go with you. We're going to get across here. And he did. And the rest of the trip, as I recall, was pretty uneventful. But we did have to keep an eye on him the whole time. Some people just march to a different drummer, don't they? There was one more that I really think of just mine just not working the same way as mine does. Not that mine is necessarily good. It just was not on the same page. This guy, I'm going to call him Drake. Drake was a very uh, fun guy in many ways. Uh, had a lot of stories. He, he was pretty cheerful. And uh, we were doing the whole trip. And uh, this time we had gone to a place and usually with our camps, we did a thing we called a solo. The solo was about not quite a 24-hour period, usually turned out to be about 18 hours where each camper was by themselves. And we, we were very cautious. We were very careful. We would put them all just like a long uh, stream so they would have water, they would have a place to camp and separate them. So they were, we tried to make it so they were a quarter of a mile apart, just and the, the thing is, they're supposed to be alone. They had a little bit of food. They had tin matches. They were supposed to be alone. And there are, there's a lot of good stuff with it. That was many times one of the most fearful parts at the beginning as the campers thought about it. And at the end, so many times they said that was really the highlight of their whole experience, just being alone some, you know, being alone with the Lord, which is what we wanted, but just thinking through things and seeing things they've never seen before. Well, as we got ready to do it, we we're along uh, the upper reaches of Hossett Creek, and I realized just paying attention that this guy, Drake, was very, very nervous about the whole thing. And so, I decided, you know what I'm going to do? I'll put him closest to me. And in fact, I put him so that it wasn't even a quarter of a mile, but I couldn't see him. And, and actually, we, our leaders, we spread out too. 
So we did our solo time as well. And it was one of my favorite times. I was alone. You know, I could read my Bible. I would often have a journal. I would be journaling of some sort. And just, I like that. I, I'm all set up. I've got my little camp set up and everything is really good, you know. And all of a sudden, you ever get that feeling that something's not quite right? You know, like somebody's looking at you or something? You know, and, and they're supposed to be st staying away from everybody. But I, I look up kind of on a hill up towards where I had started to put the kids and I knew Drake was closest. And there he was, maybe a hundred yards away from me, up on a hill, kind of crouching there, made me think like a vulture looking down at me. And I thought, oh, man, I don't know what to do. But I knew that he was terrified of that whole time. And so I thought, you know what, just this much will be good for him. And so I didn't give it much more thought, although I could see him there for much of the afternoon. And I think even into the evening. But then it started getting dark. You know, I cooked my fire. I was having my little meal. I'm a, I'm a pretty good camp cook. And, and enjoying the whole time. Finally went, uh, went to bed, went to sleep. It was dark. Everything was fine until middle of the night, I woke up to turn over and I rolled over and there was Drake laying right next to me. <laughs> I couldn't believe it. Well, again, I still didn't know what to do. It kind of startled me, but I didn't say anything. I just rolled away from him and that was it. I woke up the next morning and Drake was gone. And he'd gone back up to where he knew I had seen him. Well, everybody comes down a little bit later from their solo. It's, it's getting close to noontime, and that's about the amount of time it was. And it's always the case. People come down, and they have all their stories, you know, of all the things they saw and did. And, and it was, you know, I remember that night the coyotes had been howling, and so they talked about the coyotes howling and and owls that come in the herd, and, you know, they just have all their stories, and, and sometimes they make up things, you know, of aliens coming through, and it's really a good time. Everybody's telling their stories, and Drake is telling stories, too, and I thought, what? Because I knew none of what he was saying was true. Finally, as we're walking on down the trail later that day, I got alone just with Drake, and I said, dude, what in the world is going on? Because I told him, look, I woke up in the middle of the night and I saw you. I mean, I felt you. You were sleeping right next to me. I saw you up on the hill looking over. You weren't doing that solo. What's going on? And he told me, to me, a really sad story. And that is, he said, Jim, I was just, I was just terrified. And I, why? I mean, I mean, I know it can be scary. I've been scared out in the woods, but not like that, I don't think. And he said, you don't understand. He said, my whole life, my parents have had us watch horror movies. That's, that's their favorite movie. And we watch horror movies all the time. And he said, my imagination is so strong that at night, he says, I just can't stand it. And he said, I was so, so afraid. So I went and I slept down by you all the night. <laughs> I was sad for him. But 
a different drummer. Well, there are some stories and things that we can tell about how people act and react. God made us all in some very special ways. And we need to learn, and I continue to need to learn, that uh, even if people aren't marching the same way I do, I need to pay attention to them. But at the same time, I've got some good stories. So, this is Stories Around the Campfire by Cowboy Jim. Hope you enjoy it, and enjoy the people that God brings into your path. I'll see you next time.